Yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not nervous in a bad sense. It's just there's a presence here today that's beautiful, beautiful. And uh, so Chris was uh, totally in rebellion, raised uh, by a, a spirit-filled mom and dad. And uh, man, you just wanted to get out there and be the prodigal for a while. There are maybe uh, forever die that way, huh? Yeah. And uh, God kept you, but a youth pastor calls you to, uh, in the midst of all that and says, hey, I want you to go to Uruguay with us. Paraguay. Paraguay. Yeah. Uruguay, Paraguay. Uh, yeah. Next door neighbors. Keep, keep, me, keep me straight there, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk to us just a little bit, okay? Why we have this picture up and why I'm wanting you up here right now, besides putting you on the spot. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, like Michael said, um, God used a youth pastor in my life to uh, really give me a wake-up call and bring me back to him after a few years of running away from him. And um, he did that through an experience in Paraguay where my youth pastor invited me with um, a team to go. And it was there that God really opened my eyes to the way I was living and uh, Christ was so real in the, in the people that I encountered. I couldn't wow. hide uh, from him. And you were a white boy wishing you were one of them. Yeah. With the expressiveness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Latin America has a special place in my heart, I think just because it was there that God really brought me to himself. And I went on to study Spanish. And I thought, um, for most of you, you probably didn't understand the, the banner, but... Um, I don't know. If, do you have a picture of it zoomed in a little bit more? There is one, um, actually. It's with Dr. Norris. That I don't know, but don't be hesitate to walk over there, okay? The projector right. might show you, but it's okay. I'm really rusty. My Spanish is pretty rusty. But I thought it would be important or sweet for you guys to understand a couple of these thanks from the, the people that Summit Church has, has prayed for and partnered with um, because it was all written in Spanish. But a couple people here, a couple students, said again and again, um, thank you so much, um, and thanks to Summit for supporting my community, uh, for um, giving us the opportunity to reach our dreams and uh, to chase after them. And a couple students, yeah, <laughs> Alcanzar, that means uh, to reach. And actually, a few students mentioned this. So if I could encapsulate, uh, uh, um, to sum up the theme I saw in a lot of what these people said, they said, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for coming alongside us. And you've, because of Summit's support, we're able to continue our studies, and we're, con we're, we're able to reach for our dreams. So God. I don't know if that blesses you, but I, I was blessed when I was able to read those. And that is so understand. cool, Chris. Yeah, thank you for that. Glory to God. Glory to God for you. No, I'll keep it there for a minute. Okay. I don't know what God wants to do here, but um, Chris and Carly would like to go uh, sometime, so be praying with them. I can't believe the numbers of people that are saying they want to go, and, and you're compelled to go this way, and, uh, and uh, we'll just see how God leads if you guys would pray for who God wants to send next and, and what we want to do. After I met with you yesterday, I went in Safeway, and three unattached people to us here, except in our community, 
wanted to know about Guatemala. So there's a buzz going on about, about what you are doing. And those kids you saw earlier, last year there were no kids in middle school from our village. That's not right? Yeah. Okay, so this community was developed. What's the name of the city that they're going to? Santa Cruz. Okay, so they're going to Santa Cruz for school. Some seed money was given that enabled 26 kids from our village to begin going. Then other villages also were able to go, and consequently over 400. Our, our team walked into the middle school expecting just a few kids participating in this. This is just our kids from our village and seeing over 400 kids now in this school program supported to see them through for the next level of school. Is that pretty accurate? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, 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 these are the hillbillies moving to Beverly Hills, yeah, yeah, that's the right, that's right, there's a real prejudice against them, yeah, Estes Park students coming, finding themselves in Denver, huh, okay, wow, cool, so okay, Chris, love you, dude, thanks for your heart, and thanks for the time, it's cool, that was quite a conversation, wow, that's wow, thank you, Melissa. I love this body. You know, I, I used to every Sunday uh, like to do a thing I called fresh bread. There's, there's that 400. Go back to that 400. That is so cool. Imagine go, going into a middle school thinking there's just going to be a few kids knowing the circumstance, and this is what you see. And you know that somebody in this church seed money allowed that to happen. That is so amazing. That is so amazing. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Um, what was I talking about a minute ago here? Oh, yeah, I used to do fresh bread. And, uh, and you know, I did it because I really want people to be in the Word. And, and, and I, I believe God speaks to people. I believe there's prophetic words and different things God gives people that are timely. Uh, unfortunately, because I was so consistent with that, oftentimes what I got were things that weren't, weren't quite that, announcements and such like this. And, and that's not what I want worship to be about. I want worship to be all about Him. But when I, when I stopped doing that, I said, if God gives you a word, be sure you let me know, okay? Because <laughs> I want to hear from you. And so I just, I appreciate the interaction here. And I just want to open that up, that um, I believe that God speaks to the body. And uh, so, um, so I just want to give you permission if you need it. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, cool, cool. So what do you want today as we get into the Word? I mean, do you just want your ears tickled? Do you just want to feel good? Do you want something to get you through Monday? Are you looking for some new bit of knowledge? Um, what is it all about? Um, are you just here because it's something you're supposed to do and it's always been something you did? I hope that you're here because you desire Him, that it's all about this relationship and growing in this relationship with Him learning what it means to be a sacrificial lamb yourself. He is the sacrificial lamb who made a way for us to become sacrificial lambs. Putting ourselves on his altar, not afraid 
I'm so excited about this Easter sermon that God has given me because it's Jesus' words, unless the seed falls to the ground, it remains just one seed. <laughs> but if it falls, then it makes way for many, many, many seeds. I'm so excited about that word. But when a seed falls to the ground and dies, <laughs> giving away this, this commercial here, it, it doesn't have much control over what happens next. If a seed's going to fall to the ground and die, it doesn't have much control over what's going to happen next. And so if a big old tractor comes along and runs you over as you sit there dead, I mean, that's out of your control, right? Yeah. I mean, if you find someone picking you up to drive you somewhere fancy in a limousine after you die, you don't have much control. If, but if a tractor or a horse comes stomping on you, you don't have much control over that either. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods, but the confidence to know that because you've died and because you're in his hands, it doesn't matter what happens next to you. You can give thanks because God's not going to waste a bit of it. And if he needs to use that tractor to reposition you for better growth and better effectiveness, then you've got to trust. I've got to trust God for that. Okay? That's the Easter message right there. Okay, so let's get on with this here. Wow. Okay, we're, we might be here a while today. I'm fired up. So today's topic, the greatest man according to Jesus. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Michael. They call me the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, really glad to have you here um, with us. And uh, God captured my heart about the same time that God captured Chris's heart. I mean, not years-wise, except for years of age, okay? His was much later than mine, of course. But, uh, but we were both in a state of rebellion, and, and, and God captured us in similar ways. So, so I love his story. We're currently walking through the Gospel of John. It's called Beloved, because that's who John is. He's the, he's the author of love, the beloved disciple. And today we're, we're talking about the greatest man ever, according to Jesus. Now, as I, as I sat down to write, the Holy Spirit began speaking to me about a number of questions in our passage, a whole bunch of questions here today. I'm learning to love questions. Is anybody else with me? Anybody love questions? Yeah. If I can let you in, in a, on a little secret here this morning, generally speaking, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who love to talk about themselves. And there are those who are learning to ask great questions. And so a challenge right here up front is the next time you find yourself in a conversation, and I'm learning this, my dear wife is a master at getting other people to talk, okay, and I'm learning from her, uh, observe, are you more interested in talking about yourself or are you more interested in valuing and getting to know this person that you're with at this time. Asking great questions. Learning to make a game with it. Making, learning to have fun with it. Developing the skill of asking great questions. Okay? Yeah. Good word there. Okay. And that was triggered because as I approached this text, these two questions jumped out. Number one, in your opinion, and let's say other than Jesus, who is the greatest person to have ever lived? And as you think about it, what was it that made him or her so great? 
Okay? Now, in my lifetime, there was this guy who loved to talk about himself. He was a prize fighter, and one of his most famous phrases was, I am the greatest. Who was that? Yeah. What was his previous name? Yeah, you guys are good. There you go. That's him. Listen to this little song by Kenny Rogers. <clears throat> Kenny Rogers sang about a little boy in a baseball hat, standing in a field with his ball and bat. Says, I am the greatest player of them all. Puts his bat on his shoulder, tosses up the ball. The ball goes up and the ball comes down, swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still, you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground. Strike one. The little boy doesn't say a word, picks up his ball undeterred. Says, I am the greatest there has ever been. And he grits his teeth and he tries again. And the ball goes up and the ball comes down, swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground. Strike two. Third verse goes on pretty much like that. Swing and a miss. Strike three is assumed, right? And we come to the end of the song. Now it's supper time. He hears his mama call. Little boy starts home with his bat and ball. Says, I am the greatest. That is a fact. But even I didn't know I could pitch like that. <laughs> Thank you, George. You just keep laughing. You take that home. Share it with the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Who's the greatest person to have ever lived? What is it that made them so great? Suppose you were to ask that question of Jesus. Jesus, who is the greatest person to have ever lived? What made that person so great? What would he say? Well, it turns out Jesus answers that question, not in our text as well. In our text, he does. He shows us the characteristics of it. But over in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says these words, Truly I tell you, among those born of a woman, <laughs> pretty much covers us, right? Yeah, among those born of a woman, there has not risen anyone greater than who? And then he tells us what it is that made John the Baptist so great. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So we pick up our text now. This is John chapter 3, verse 22. John the Baptist and his disciples are pretty much doing what they've been doing for some time now. They're baptizing people in the Jordan River, but now there's a major problem. Competition has moved on the scene. Jesus Christ has dared to move into their territory, and he's out baptizing them. See, we could call John the Baptist the preacher who lost his congregation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this guy that Jesus has referred to as being the greatest of the greatest turns out to be the preacher who lost his flock. They're all going up the street to the bigger and better church. Okay, so now imagine for a moment that John the Baptist were alive today. And, and imagine for a moment that, that you were wanting to be baptized where do you go 
to get baptized. Where, where, where do you go? Well, you might grab your device, open up an app, you know, like Yelp or TripAdvisor. That's, that's what I would do, and everybody in the car wouldn't like that very well. And you put in the search bar, baptisms. Well, I just got to tell you, John the Baptist probably wouldn't get a five-star rating. <laughs> in fact, if you were to read the reviews, you might say, there's no way I'm going to let this guy baptize me. I mean, it doesn't sound like he dresses right. Comes across a little bit rough, and it looks like his breath might smell like rotten locusts. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not going there. Jesus Christ is getting a far better rating. I guess I'll go there. But hold on a minute. There's only one rating that matters in the end. What does Jesus have to say? I've had the privilege in, in my life of getting around some really terrific leaders. I was just very, very fortunate that, that way. And from my observation, they all share one thing in common. None of them gets a five-star rating. They all have their critics. They all have those in their lives that we get some less than favorable reviews. But in the end, it doesn't matter because in the end, there's only one rating that counts. What does Jesus have to say? And on that scale, John the Baptist does quite well. Jesus gives him five stars. There are things we can learn from John the Baptist. And that's what this is all about today. And the same thing is true of you. The same thing is true of me. The same thing is true of President Trump. Same thing is true of Miley Cyrus. Anybody else you might want to look at. Every one of us is being rated every day. Every single day. And get this. Step outside of your comfort zone and attempt to do anything of significance, anything worthwhile, and you will be rated all the more. Yeah. But in the end, when it comes to greatness, there's only one rating that matters. What does Jesus have to say about you? Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest, greater than John the Baptist. Now there's a win worth striving for. Yeah, but what does this look like? And that's, that's really where God launched me off into saying a few things here. When John's disciples expressed concern over Jesus out-baptizing them, we find Jesus responding in verse 27 this way, or John, excuse me, John responding this way. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So the first point here is greatness is found in embracing the hand that you've been dealt. A person can only receive what has been given them from heaven. If God didn't give it, then you don't have it. Now, I don't want you to take that wrong because there have been those people who have stretched themselves in the fields of discovery that go way beyond anything they could have ever asked, hoped, dreamed, or imagined. But as a general principle, we could say if God didn't give it, then you don't have it. And if that's true, then we're all forced to consider one question. Have you, have I, recognized, celebrated, and embraced 
using the gift that God has given us. Have you embraced the gift that God has given you? Are you using it well, or do you have a tendency to want to compare it to everybody else's gift? Hmm. I think too many of us are, are probably looking at someone else's gift and, 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 and we're liking theirs a whole lot better because the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. I'm reminded of those gift exchanges back in grade school. Yeah, think about those gift exchanges. I generally like the gift that I brought more than the gift that I got. It just seemed to, to be the way it is and by the time I was in third grade I thought that I had figured out the perfect gift in fact it costs a whole lot less than the two dollar limit that was imposed if you waited for it to go on sale at that old store called Kresge's five and dime yeah you could find it there what was that gift cost about less than two bucks it was the lifesaver book the lifesaver book imagine that a whole yeah, I mean, come on, it's, it's the gift that compounds. I mean, you open it up, and it's a book filled with little packets of lifesavers, right? Honestly, I can't remember much about gifts that I got because if those gifts weren't on the level of a lifesaver book, then they just didn't measure up. <laughs> Felt cheated. And every one of us, at one time in our life or another, we've been left feeling cheated. We've been left feeling betrayed, ignored, unappreciated, underappreciated. I mean, it's tough to watch someone else succeed, especially when you seem to be stuck in a cycle of failures. How do you feel when someone is recognized for an achievement? How do you react inside when you hear about some good fortune that has come to a friend or neighbor, and it's come in the form of something that you were hoping for and wanting? I mean, can you celebrate with them? Can you celebrate with them? When you hear people talk about some miracle or, or, or some kind of answered prayer that they received, can, can you rejoice with them? Can, can you embrace their victory? Can you do it? John wasn't going to be threatened by Jesus' success because John was able to see and appreciate what God gave him and hold on to that. He was able to rejoice in the success of someone else. So here comes a bunch of questions now. What has God given to you? Will you embrace it, celebrate it, and use it? What is a gift that God has given to someone else? Will you, can you celebrate with them? Because greatness is rooted in so appreciating and celebrating what God has given you that you are able to celebrate what God gives to others. He doesn't show favoritism but he just may not come through in some false expectation that you've been anticipating because a person can only receive what has been given them from heaven. That's John the Baptist to his disciples. But it builds on that because the second thing is that greatness is found in elevating the people around you. Let's read the text. Verse 28, John is speaking, John the Baptist, not John the author of the book we're studying. That's John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, I know that's confusing. There's two different people here, right? And he says this. Still under that question, you know, they're out baptizing us. We're losing our flock. 
you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. God, I just love that, those words. Think about it. I am not the Messiah. Can you say that? I am not the Messiah. Yeah, can you tell somebody next to you, I am not? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, dear. I just love that. I think Larry's disagreeing. I think he's struggling over there. I, th I think he's thinking, I just might be the Messiah. <laughs> I love that. I am not the Messiah. But I am sent ahead of him. Then he gives this analogy. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So John the Baptist is really happy with, with Jesus' success because John knows his position in all of this. Using this analogy of the wedding, the wedding isn't about the best man. The wedding isn't about the maid of honor. The wedding is really about the bride and the groom. Jesus is the groom, and John says, I am only the best man. So I've had this observation that there are those who like to talk about themselves, and then there are those who are mastering the art of asking questions, God help me to be more like my dear wife. But I've also observed after 34 years now, nearly, of full-time ministry, uh, I've done quite a few weddings, and I've observed that there are two types of best men. There are those best men who only allow the invitation to serve in this capacity to do nothing more than feed their egos. Oh, I can't believe he said that. Oh. And then there are those best men who are there to serve. I believe I had the greatest best man of all times. And you all know who he is because I talk about him all the time. The guy I credit for my coming to faith, right? When I asked him to serve as my best man, the first thing he did was to research what it is that a best man is supposed to do. So when he showed up to Oklahoma, which is where Valerie and I got married, green country, northern Oklahoma, Bartlesville, for those of you who care about that area of the country, when he showed up to do the wedding, the first question or the first statement he wanted me to hear was, Michael, there's only one thing that I want you to think about on your wedding day, and that's showing up to the wedding. He said, I'm going to take care of everything else. Okay, that's not a scary thought. I mean, this is an amazing individual, right? Yeah. And, and so then he said, I need your car keys. Now, I was a youth pastor at a, at a very large church. He was concerned about what those young people might just have in mind to do to our car, right? So he said, give me the keys to the car. I'm going to hide your car until after the wedding. When you and Valerie are ready to head out for the honeymoon, I'll bring it up, and then you can be on the way. Great idea, right? Great idea, right? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Now you're cooperating. Some of you aren't sure about this one. Well, Valerie and I had a very distinct avocado green 1978 
Ford LTD with a dark green vinyl top. That car was so long that if we pulled it in the first garage we had, we couldn't shut the door. It was a unique car. It was a gift. It was given to us by Valerie's dad, okay? Just one problem. He drove one exactly like it. And he drove it to the wedding. I can't believe what those kids did to his car. It still haunts me to this day. The chief demon in that was the pastor's daughter. When I got back from my honeymoon, the pastor called me in his office and said, your father-in-law was downright carnal. Can I blame him? (laughs) It was a great idea. Our car was safe. Why? Our car was safe because I had this best man who was there to serve. He would do everything in his power to lift up myself and my bride on our very special day. And let's face it, in our world, we love titles, we love positions, we want to chase after them, we love celebrity status, pride, cri- pride, pride cri- craves to, to get ahead of the competition, we want the, the applause, we want the affirmation, but John the Baptist refuses all of it. He saw it as a trap, he found joy in serving. So here's some more questions. Who might God have you position yourself beneath in order to lift them up? And then let's take it home a little bit further. I suggest you start looking at home first. Yeah. Yeah. All right, third thing I noticed. Greatness is exalting the one who comes from above. Greatness is exalting the one who comes from above. Verse 30, John said, he, talking about Jesus, must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. Jesus came from above, he's above all. He has both experiences, above and below. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. That's you and me, and that's John the Baptist. We have a limited perspective. But he goes on, the one who comes from, from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Praise God that that's not the complete story. It's, it's difficult to hear those words. No one accepts his testimony because he goes on to say, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God, I love this. I love this statement. For God gives the spirit without limit. Why don't you read those words with me? For God gives the Spirit without limit. Let's do that again. For God gives the Spirit without limit. There's a lie that's been circulating around the church throughout the centuries. It's a lie that essentially says that um, humility grows out of feelings of worthlessness. In other words, if you want to grow in humility, then learn the art of tearing yourself down. And, and really, that's, that's false humility. It's, it's, a, it's a joyless existence. 
And honestly, it's putting the focus on the wrong place because it's doing nothing more than putting the focus on you. If I could just tear myself down a little bit more. What John the Baptist is saying here, that there's only one way to find humility, and that is increasing Christ. Lift up Christ. Don't waste your time focused on trying to be super humble. That's going to put the focus in the wrong place. Trying to sound humble will only dig you into this dark pit, and before long, you will find yourself being the proudest person in all the church. I am super humble man. Yeah. If only the rest of you could be so humble as me. But here's a better plan. Exalt Christ, lift him up, and he will take you with, you, with him where he's going. He's not going to tear you down. He's going to build you up. He will fashion you to become everything God intended you to be. So one of the things, uh, man, there's, there's kind of a sweet spirit here today, and it, I love it. I love you all. Thank God for you. One of the things that God used to lead me to himself um, were two more questions. Are you surprised? <laughs> it's all about questions this morning, it seems like. And, th- and those two questions are these. What am I influencing other people toward? What do I want to influence other people toward? And what did God create me to influence other people toward? It came at a time in life when I was experimenting with drugs. And uh, w- one of my best friends, in fact, uh, my, my longest standing childhood buddy, uh, was wanting me to introduce him to drugs. And I have to be honest with you, it just didn't set well with me. I mean, it was one thing for me to enter into a life of stupidity. It was another thing for me to be responsible for, for dragging someone else into that. And I really struggled with it, but, but looking back on it, and I know this is going to sound really strange to, to a number of you, but by not allowing this friend into this part of my life, I really wasn't being a good friend. And let me tell you two reasons why I believe that's true today. Number one, I wasn't allowing him into the experience that I was walking in at the moment. And number two, I wasn't allowing him to participate with this group of people that I was doing these things with. Hmm. So there was tension in, in my soul that was going on here. But friends, it was as if God was knocking on the door of my heart. And he was saying, hey, Michael, what are you influencing people toward? What do you want to influence people toward? And Michael, if you're not going to be intentional, get that word intentional, if you're not going to be intentional about leading other people to me, then you will by default be leading them away from me. 
And the Bible says every good and perfect gift, and if you understand the word good, you know that there's nothing good but God himself, right? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What does that mean? It means there's nothing good and perfect down here worth leading other people toward. And this is what I was being called to influence other people into letting them know him, letting them know the path to life. So John the Baptist knew that the way to find the greatest joy in life was to discover and walk in his, in his greatest purpose, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what John was all about. That's what God was calling me to. And Jesus called John the greatest of the greats. I want to be like John. So here we have some more questions. What are you influencing others to, toward? What would you like to influence others toward, and what are you called to influence them toward? Okay, just a few more verses in this text that are so awesome. Verse 35, watch this. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Now, I think that's a valuable statement there to put your name. Write your name right there. It says the Father, and and just make a line right there, and and put your name. Can you say, you know, Michael Descoli loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands? The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. How about you? And then here's the Gospel, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him, on her, on them, however you want to state it. But I need to articulate those words. I need to emphasize that God's wrath remains. Because what that shows... This is, this is revelation coming alive in my spirit at this very moment, at, at this venture of life, that we are a fallen people living on a fallen planet, and our tendency is to look at judgment as something we're going to face when we die. But friends, I need to tell you, we are living in judgment right now. So when the Bible says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, Why would he? We're condemned. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son to save the world. And he puts the choice on us. We can keep chasing after the stuff of this world, or we can finally see the emptiness of it. Come out of the darkness. Stop embracing darkness. Come into the light. He knows it all anyway. You're exposed. And let him rescue you. It's the good news of the kingdom. I, I, I hope you heard the good news. I hope you heard the good news right there. God is rescuing. And there is hope. And there is a way to life. And chasing after this world and the stuff of the world is leaving people empty. They, they don't get it. They, they can play games and pretend it's different. But, 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 but they know it's not. And God is saying, let me rescue you. Surrender. It's time to come home. Today is the day of salvation. 
today is the day of liberty. Learning to embrace and celebrate what you're given. Learning to put yourself beneath others, to lift them up. And learning the greatest purpose, to exalt him who is on the throne. Hallelujah. Man, that's a good word. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God. I don't know what you're doing, but I believe you're doing it. And I, and I, and I, I know that there's someone here that right now, there's a battle going on. And they don't know what to do with it. And part of them wants to just push it aside and say, it's going to be over soon and, and you know, we can just walk out of here. But another part is calling them to you. And I pray they will hear your voice and put their lives in your hands. So friends, two questions that God has given us to ask each time we gather like this. Number one, what is it that God's Spirit is speaking to you right now? And number two, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Let's uh, worship, shall we? Yeah. Awesome.